Well, church, it's good to be with you again. And uh, go ahead, get your Bibles open to Psalm 44. Psalm 44. And uh, it's a really interesting psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It was written for the people of God as a whole, as a collective body. When they were suffering great difficulty, the people of God would come together and they would sing this psalm along with many others. The psalmist is asking God that he would deliver them out of the hardship that they were facing. It's easy for us and anyone to say that we trust the Lord when things are good. It's nice to look back after a trial and say, wow, look at what the Lord has done. It's, it's good before a trial comes to prepare ourselves and gird up our loins, as you would, to prepare ourselves for the trial. But so much of our heart is revealed when we're in the middle of the trial. So much of, so much of our heart and as a, the people of God is revealed when we're going through something. What are we to do during, not just after and not just before, but in the middle of it? What are we supposed to do? And not just individually, but collectively as a body, as a church, as a congregation. But before we go any further, we need to pray. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it is so instructive for so many different parts of our lives, every part of our lives. Lord, thank you that you've called us to be your bride. Lord, thank you that you have died for the church. Lord, thank you that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, thank you that you care for your church and you nurture your church. And Lord, here we are as your church, and God, we're asking, Lord, help us. Lord, please help us. We need you. There's so many things going on, and God, all we can do is have our eyes set on you. So Lord, would you find us faithful? Lord, would you find us praying? And God, would you bless us even now? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This psalm is set up, and it's in a few different sections. You might notice that uh, in your Bibles, it's sort of delineated, and there's bigger spaces between certain verses. But let me just give you a quick little overview before we get into it, what's going on here. In verses 1 to 3, the psalmist is writing about things that have happened. In in 4 and 8, he's declaring his trust in God. In verses 9 through 16, he's sadly reminiscing about the state of Israel and how terrible things currently are. In 17 to 22, he reaffirms their faith regardless of situation. And then 23 to 26 is a prayer asking for help. And what I want to do is I want to start out in in way of introduction in verses 9 to 16 to show the circumstance that they were in and how we can maybe relate a little bit to what they were going through. So I'll just read 9 to 16 and then we'll focus in on just verse 11. But it says, but you have rejected us 
speaking to God, you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All the day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. Things are pretty rough for Israel as this psalm is being written. It's amazing, the psalmist is actually writing that and knowing that all of their hard times are completely within the sovereignty of God. He's saying, God, you have done this. This is what you are doing. He gives no credit to, their, to his enemies. Even in the horror and in the disappointment, he attributes it all to God. I think we need to focus in here, though, on verse 11. It says, you have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. We're kind of scattered right now, aren't we? We're going through something, and today, on, in, in most years in our church, today, this weekend, is ministry launch weekend. But things have never looked so different. Whether you're at home watching this, and that's different for you, or you're here right now, things are different. We're signing up and checking in for church. We're wearing masks. We can't sing. We are sitting six feet apart. I mean, things are different. We're scattered. We're in the middle of something. The psalmist here, they were, they were losing the battle. They were losing the battle, but they were longing to be with one another. They were longing to be with one another. Because being together is a blessing from God for God's people. It is his promise to them. And when they were able to come together and worship, and when we are able to come together and worship, our hearts will be filled because it should be the longing of our hearts to worship together. For Israel not to worship together is disastrous. In fact, for the people of God, for them not to be worshiping together is a curse that God would separate them and move them apart. I think what we need to have in this time of great difference and difficulty as we go through this Pandemic, as we have a ministry launch weekend that looks nothing like a ministry launch weekend that we've ever had, we need to have a good theology of what church is. We need to have a good ecclesiology. That word ecclesiology, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which just means the gathering or the congregation. And so ecclesiology is the study of the gathering of the church, of God's people. We can't dive into all the aspects of this doctrine, but I think it's important that we understand that this doctrine exists and the importance of it, the overarching theme in scripture of God's people coming together. 
we can't understand stand Psalm 44 if we don't understand the desire of the writer. The desire to come together, the desire to worship as we should, the desire to worship alongside other believers is a fundamental desire in the believer's heart. To be with others, to gather together, it's assumed in Scripture that this is what we want. Even if we can't have it, it's what we want to have. In the Old Testament, the Lord called his people and promised them the promised land that they might be together. That they could build a temple and worship him together. When they disobeyed the Lord, the Lord would remove them from the land. On a few occasions, thinking of the time of Daniel or Nehemiah, when the Lord scattered them throughout the nations and exiled them from their land. But what was their greatest desire? To return. To return. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, this is a promise, and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God was, has scattered you. This is a promise of God. If they were disobedient, they would be scattered. But when they cried out to him and their heart was changed, he would bring them back. In Isaiah 11, verse 12, it says, He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. You need more proof? Jeremiah 29, 14, it says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 20, 41 says, As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight, in the sight of the nations. How about Psalm 84? Beautiful psalm. Verse 1 and 2 in Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place. You see the desire of the heart there? How lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for the joy, for joy to the living God. And then in verse 4 of Psalm 84, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. The desire of the heart to be together. Verse 10 in Psalm 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The desire of the heart. Psalm 122, which has really been a personal favorite of mine through this whole odd season that we've been walking through. And David writes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. I was glad. Because that's my heart's desire as a child of God to come together with other believers and worship. In fact, the entire book of Psalms is a call for the people of God to come together and sing to him. That's its purpose. The entire Levitical law was how do the people of God live together and worship God? The goal of calling Abraham in Genesis 12 was to establish a people that would dwell together in the land that God had given them. This is what God has called us to, to worship together. To worship together. In the New Testament, we see the church established. And we need to have our theology right on this. We need to know where our heart should be pointing and the desires that we should have, the 
the church is established and meeting together regularly. In Acts 2.46, we see that those who were saved would meet together day by day at the temple. They wanted to see each other. Why? Because God has put it in our hearts. Communion. We're going to be partaking communion next week. We take it together. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 18, we see that we are participating with the blood of Christ. And he, and he finishes off the thought and says, Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifice participants in the altar? The coming together at the altar in the temple of God together worshiping? We're to be singing together. We are. We are to be singing together. Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thanksgiving in your heart to God. It doesn't mean we can sing together, but oh boy, does it ever mean that we long to sing together. I can't wait until we can all be in here singing our hearts out to God. It doesn't mean we can, but I'm not talking about the action, I'm talking about the heart God is so much more concerned than the words you're singing. He's so much more concerned about your heart. Do you long for this? Do you want to be with the people of God? Teaching is to be done together. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says he gave the teachers, the apostles, the prophets, the, the shepherds to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're to come together and open God's word together and and learn and, and grow. We're supposed to confess sin to one another and pray for each other, James 5, 16. We're to be walking in love with each other as a sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5, verse 2. In 1 Peter 2, 5, Peter actually compares our salvation as a spiritual house that's being built up together. It's the longing of our heart that together we would build up, be built up and together offer spiritual sacrifices. And we are to offer to the Lord a continual sacrifice of praise together, Hebrews 13, verse 15. And the author of Hebrews, he knew this blessing. He knew this blessing and the desire of our heart should be to gather together. Coming together, wanting it. Doesn't mean we can always, but it means we want it. It means we want it. And like any desire in our heart that's from God, our flesh doesn't like so much and tries to pull us in the opposite direction. So the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, he, he knew that if we neglect meeting together, eventually we forget to meet together. See, I'm not, I'm not talking about if we can gather or if we can sing or that we should break laws or public health. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not really talking about that at all. What I'm saying is to understand Psalm 44, we need to understand that our heart needs to be in a position where we are longing for the day that we can be together fully. This is so important for the people of God. Longing to be together. Looking at any opportunity that we can take to get back to where God would have us be. 
There's many things that might keep us, sickness or distance or unexpected circumstances, but the desire, the desire, oh, that the Lord would look at our church and see desire to worship him together. So let's go through this psalm and see what they did. What did they do as they were scattered? What do we do? Lord, we have this desire. We, we want to meet together. We want things to go back the way they were. Lord, we're, we're your children. Of course we want to worship together. We're not going to allow apathy and distance get in the way of our heart's true desire in Christ to meet together and worship We're longing for that day. Oh God, help us. What can we do? What can we do? Verses 1 through 8. Here's our first point. During the trial, during the scattering, during the difficulty, when we're in the middle of it, we need to look back to look forward. We need to look back to look forward. Look at verses 1, 2, 3. He says, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm, and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. He goes on, he's saying, God, you are the salvation for Jacob. He's saying, God, it's not my bow you trust in verse 6, nor can my sword save me, but you've saved us from our foes. He's saying, yes, God, what was true is still true. What was true is still true for us today. For our own encouragement and to remind our hearts of the grace of God, we need to look back at what We have seen the Lord do and be reminded that he can do it again. It will help us gain perspective in our current situation, trust in his abilities, and have a longing for him to do what only he can do. He writes in verse 1, We have heard it with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days. This is great. This is great. You see, of course, reading the word of God is so important and we need to study it. We need to know what God has done in scripture and all of these wonderful things. And in fact, the things he's referring to are probably the things that are recorded in scripture. And we need to read the word of God and be encouraged by it. But there's this other kind of encouragement, this another level of encouragement that comes from hearing the stories of God's grace in people's lives. Hearing the the mercy that God has poured out On his children. He says, We have heard with our ears, just to overemphasize it. I don't know if you hear with any other part of your body, but this guy hears with his ears. And he says, Our fathers have told us your great deeds. We need to encourage one another with our own testimonies and what God has done how God has saved us, the mercy that he's poured out and allow others to be blessed by the work of God. We need to communicate the the beauty of God's mercy in our lives to our children. Is that not what he says here? We heard this from our fathers. 
We heard this from our fathers. Never miss an opportunity to tell your children about the grace of God and what he's done in your life. To make yourself look small and to make God look glorious. Fathers, mothers, how how have you been leading your children in this to go back through scripture and through your own personal experience and, and, and telling them to express to them, just look at how God has brought us here. I'd like to increase the amount of times we do this in our own home for sure. But every now and then I'll sit down with Mandy, my wife, and just go over, look at what God has done over the last 10 years. He was with us here and he was with us here and we didn't know it was coming, but his mercy poured out again and again and again and he provided and he showed us the way. He kept doing it. Oh, God is good. What an encouragement to look back. I often bring up in family gatherings how the Lord answered prayer when my own father had a heart attack and the Lord saved him. It was the, the worst kind of heart attack, but God revived him. And, or when my father-in-law had a serious stroke and we thought he thought he would never be able to feed himself again. And the nurses thought, oh, he won't walk again and he'll be in rehab for six months. But yet in two days, he was up and going around. We, 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 we see the mercy of God and whenever, whenever it, it pours out, we have to talk about it again. We can't leave it in the past. Look back to what God has done so that we can look forward to know what God will do. It will encourage your heart. It will bless your soul in the midst of difficulty and trial. We can also speak about what the Lord has done through history, recent history, or not so recent history. Biblical history, of course, but how about, how about telling our children about what God did in the Reformation? How he used men like Martin Luther to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. How he used men like John Calvin to study the word of God so intently and teach it so faithfully for so long. Or, or John Knox who brought the gospel again to Scotland and started the Presbyterian church and, and saw so many people saved and so many missionaries go out throughout all the world. We can look back and say, wow, God, look at what you have done. It's amazing. Do it again, oh God. Do it again. We need you. We need you. Even the author of this psalm, even the author of this psalm, have you ever, have you ever noticed you're reading through the psalms and you see um, David, written by David, you see a couple of different authors throughout the psalms. Well, this one and, and about 11 others, I think, it's attributed to the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. And, and I always ask, I'm like, what you, did a lot of people write this? Well, who's the sons of Korah? What does that, what does that mean? But even in, the, even in the title, in the attribution of who this is written for, he's telling us to look back so that we can look forward. To know who the sons of Korah are, we have to understand who Korah is. To know who Korah is, we need to go back to Numbers 16. In Numbers 16, Korah was a priest, and he was one of 250 men in a rebellion against Moses and Aaron's leadership. God did not take, God did not take lightly rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And as these men stood there, he opened up the earth and swallowed them within it. The rest of the 250 were consumed by fire. But obviously some of Korah's descendants survived. And actually Samuel, the prophet, 
was a descendant of Korah, the Lord's redeeming work at hand. See, why am I, why am I, why am I bringing this up? You see, Korah didn't, the son of Korah, whoever this is, this anonymous person, he didn't even use his own name. He didn't try to distance himself from the past. In fact, he went, he went to the most, the, the worst person in his family history. And he says, this here is written by the sons of Korah. The Lord restored their family, didn't he? From rebellion to writing scripture. Look at what the Lord has done. He doesn't attribute anything to himself, but only that he is very low, that he comes from the worst kind of the priests. But his God is amazing. His God is so good. And we can look back on our failings and the failings of our ancestors even. And we can see the grace of God so that we can look forward. This is what we need to do in the middle of a trial. We also need to stay faithful to our calling. During the trial, in the midst of everything, when things are so difficult, when we can't see the end, when, when, when the world is crashing down on us, when we can't gather as a church, and let me tell you, that's a big deal for the people of God. When we can't gather the way we're supposed to, when, when our heart is torn over this, oh Lord, would you tear our hearts over this? Would you help us see the severity of this and not just being able to sit on the couch is a comfortable way to do church? God, this is devastating. Help us, oh God. But in the middle of all of this, while this is happening, we must stay faithful to our calling. Look at verse 17 to 22. It says this, All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we have forgotten the name of our God or or spread our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. All of this has come upon us, though we have not forsaken you, though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false to your covenant, he says. Our hearts have not turned back, nor have our steps departed your way. I love the honesty here. This, well, this psalm is just so chock full of honesty. I love this honesty the psalmist, the psalmist here, the son of Korah, he's almost kind of confused as he's writing this. He's like, God, all these things, you've done all these things to us. All of this is happening, God, but we've been faithful. We've been faithful. We haven't turned away to other gods. Our, our hearts are so longing to come together. Our, 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 our love is still for you. We haven't gone into a different path, Lord? And, and even if we did, even if we did these things, you would know our heart. Why would I say these things if they weren't true? I know you know my heart. He knows the secrets of our heart. You see, there's no point to trying to lie to God about the state of our heart. He knows the secrets of our heart. And not just us 
individually, but here he's speaking of us collectively. He knows our heart as a church. We are to be faithful even when we can't make sense of the situation. The church right now is going through this not because of rebellion, I don't believe. I don't, I don't believe we've done some heinous sin or something's happening back in February and March came and he said no more church and separated us and did all this. I, don't, I think that we've remained faithful. I think we're still proclaiming God's word. We're, we're still loving one another. And, and, and the question is then, look God, we're here. We're being faithful. Why? Why is this happening? And God, when will it end? During the difficulty, during the trial, during the scattering, it's a really difficult time for temptation. It adds an extra burden on us in temptation. When the trial hits, it's even more difficult to not fall into temptation or fall in the ways of the flesh. Why? Because we start to feel sorry for ourselves. We, see, we feel sorry for ourselves and, and we say, well, God isn't here anyway, so I might as well return to the comforts of my flesh. Or even we'll lash out at God or other people and act in unholy and ungodly ways because we feel like what's happening to us is not just and what that happen, leads to is us not relying on God to fix the problem, but we think we need to fix the problem, even though the word of God says that vengeance is the Lord's. We do these things because we don't trust in the promises of God. We're not relying on his salvation and we're putting ourselves in the place of judge. But the question begs, why does God allow the suffering? Why does God allow the difficulty? Why does God allow the scatter? I love these five R's that John Piper put together on why God allows suffering. Five different R's, hopefully helpful to remember, of why God allows suffering in different circumstances. This is so good. Let's, let's, let's go here. First, repentance in Luke, Luke 13, 4 to 5. The first R is repentance. Sometimes we are allowed to suffer. Sometimes suffering happens that we might repent. In Luke, in Luke 13, it's the story of this, this tower uh, falling on people and people die. And they're asking Jesus, why did this happen? And his answer is that this happened so that you might repent. When we see the see how short life is when we see how quickly it can be taken from us and we suffer through that it should cause us to repent how about how about reliance reliance second corinthians 1 8 and 9 second corinthians 1 8 and 9 let's not miss any of these let's go there if you can second corinthians 1 8 and 9 it says this for reliance. Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 
2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Sometimes we suffer that we might rely on God and how much glory does God get in our lives as we rely on him through all circumstances. The one who might bring us to death, but he is the one who is able to raise from the dead. Thirdly, for righteousness, for righteousness, Hebrews 12, 6 and 10 and 11, for righteousness Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12, so good. Hebrews 12, he says, Hebrews 12, 6. Get there in your Bible if you can. Get there in your Bible. Hebrews 12, 6, he says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son who he receives. And then in 10 and 11, it says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, talking about our earthly fathers, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. See, sometimes we go through suffering, sometimes we go through discipline that we might become more righteous. And he's using it to that end. Okay, this is my, this is my favorite one. How about number four, reward. Reward. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Get there in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It's one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture in speaking about suffering in our lives for reward. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Reward. You see, what, what is this, what's this verse saying? It's saying that as, as we go through suffering, as we go through misery or trial or difficulty, God doesn't waste any of it. And even if we can't see it, he's, he's using it to bring us a reward for eternity. And so we can have great faith in our God and stay faithful to what we're called to, knowing that God doesn't waste one moment of your suffering. We might not understand it today, but we will understand it in eternity. Number five, we've seen repentance, reliance, righteousness, reward. And now in Philippians 3.10, we see a reminder. A reminder. Philippians 3.10 says this, that that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That I might know him. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering. Sometimes we share in the sufferings of Christ so that we are reminded that our Savior died for us. Reminded what Jesus Christ has done for us. Repentance, reliance, righteousness, reward, and as a reminder. 
This is why there is suffering in the world. This is why we still go through things today, but it won't last forever. I can guarantee you that. Christ will return, and all things will be made new. Look at verse 22 in Psalm 44. Verse 22. He says, Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Yet for your sake we're being killed all the day long. Does this verse sound familiar to you? It should. It should. The Apostle Paul quotes this verse in Romans 8, 36. In Romans 8, 36, one of the most encouraging, incredible passages of Scripture for us as we're suffering, the Apostle Paul goes back to here. Psalm 44, verse 22. Let's take a quick look at Romans 8, 31 to 36. We can't miss this. Can't miss this. Romans 8, 31 to 39. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, and you could add pandemic? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And there are trials that we will walk through. But we can be guaranteed as we remain faithful to the one who has saved us, that he will bring us through. That he will grant us the desires of our hearts. That nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are you going through right now? What is our church going through right now? Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Long for the things that Christ would have you long for. Don't become complacent. Don't become lazy. Don't become comforted by the world. Don't become um, uh, more happy that you worship at home. Long to be together. Christ can do it. Christ can do it. Let's look at the last four verses of Psalm 44. Because during this trial, yes, we, we need to look back to look forward. We need to be faithful in our calling. Unshaken by the world. But we also need to pray, don't we, church? We need to pray, and our prayers need to be honest and bold prayers. Honest and bold prayers. None of this skirting around the issue stuff, all right? Honest and bold prayers to God. God, help us. Look at the text. Psalm 44. 
23. You know, I'll tell you this, when I, when I first went through this and I was reading this, I was shocked. I was like, can you say that to God? Wow. It almost, it's, it's almost irreverent, I felt like, for a moment. He says, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? I could imagine someone saying that next to me and me just taking a step this way, waiting for the lightning to strike, right? It's so honest and so bold, and in his perspective, as he's sitting there crying out in his heart to God, look, we're like sheep to be slaughtered. Where are you, God? This is just honest. This is honest. Are you sleeping? Do you see us? Where are you? He says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our reflection and our oppression? For our soul is bound down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. When the scattering comes, when the trial comes, when it's difficult, when we, we, we have emotions and feelings, when we don't understand, when, when it's too much for us to bear, we need to pray bold and honest prayers to our God. Never questioning him, never being irreverent, but being honest with the state of our heart. This is coming from a man who is so broken over the state of God's people. Just think of the the depth of that. He's so broken that his, God's people aren't together. He says, God, why are you sleeping? But we know that God never sleeps, don't we? We know that God never sleeps. We know that God is in control. But in that moment, maybe even right now in your life, it feels like to you, from your perspective, that God's not answering prayer, that God isn't doing the things that you're wanting him to do, that he's not changing things in the direction of your liking. It seems like he is asleep, but we know that he never sleeps. But we need to have these honest prayers. The amazing thing about feeling this way, you know the amazing thing about this is you're not alone. You're not alone in feeling that sometimes or all the time. But the Holy Spirit will comfort you. Wait on him. Wait on him. It's amazing that, you know, I, I said that jokingly about someone being struck by lightning as they, as they pray this prayer. But the truth is that's a problem in my heart because the reality is, is that God has given us this prayer and put it in scripture that we might read it and pray it back to him. I'll tell you this, this is a God-approved prayer. God is wanting you to be open and honest about how you feel things are going right now. He wants you to cry out. He wants you to depend on him. In verse 24, it says, Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? We can feel alone in our troubles, but this is the reality. This is the reality. God never leaves us or forsakes us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We are never alone. We are never alone. If you're at home and you pray by yourself, listen, you're not alone. God is there. The Christian actually never prays alone. They always have a companion and a friend. 
has not forgotten our afflictions. I can just imagine what God would say in reply to this. And I think he says it through the whole counsel of his word, but what he would say directly to this, as, as, as the people of Israel cried out, Awake, O Lord, where are you? Do you forget? How, why have you turned your face for us? He would maybe look at them and say, You have no idea how near I am to you. Through all of these things going on, I'm, I'm preparing something for you and for those who will believe later that will save you for eternity. You have no idea how I'm working all of these t- things together for your good. I'm going to take them on completely and purchase them by the blood of my son. Nothing will be wasted. And so in the fullness of time, God sent Christ to live, to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, and to ascend to heaven. That if we believe in him, no longer are our cries from the heart meaningless. They're now meaningful. And God doesn't waste them at all. And if we would believe in him, he will save us. He will save us. Do you think that the Lord is wasting this pandemic? Not a chance. Not a chance. Never. We we long to come back together, but we're just as excited about God. What will you teach us during this time? What will we learn right now in this trial? Do you not know that God is in control of every microorganism and every single galaxy simultaneously? That these things are very small potatoes to him. Have we forgotten that Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? I pray as we we start this new ministry year that looks so different, I pray that we would not waste this opportunity to press into the Lord, to grow, to be purged of the sin that lingers in our heart, to understand the blessing that we have in Christ and in fellowship for one another more than ever before, something that maybe we took for granted for too long, and now hopefully we never will again. And we can learn from this prayer, and even in the last verse, as he says, rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Lord, not for our sake, but for your sake. That your glory may go out further. Church, in the middle of this trial, we we don't need to understand why. We don't need to understand why. We need to look back and remember what God has done and be able to look forward to what he will do. We need to remain faithful in what we're called to. And we need to pray bold prayers and honest prayers to our God as our Desire in our heart is his desire to be together, to love one another, and to grow in this faith. Why don't we do that now? Why don't we pray an honest and bold prayer to God right now as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, we... We often feel, God, that we're alone. We know that we're not, Lord, because your spirit is within us. But God, 
When we look at the world around us and we see the pain, we see suffering, God, we see so much injustice, we see difficulty. When we look at our own lives, there's, there's all these things going on, Lord. Oftentimes we can feel, and even in, and in our darkest moments, Lord, we, we feel like maybe, God, you're not hearing us. God, would you show yourself to us, Lord? God, would you break our heart for the church? Would you break our heart that we're unable to do what we're called to do? God, will you come? Will you come and resolve this for us, God? We, we are so unable. Lord, do it for your own sake, O oh God, in your church. Lord, be glorified here. Lord, would you find us as a faithful people even in the middle of difficulty and trial? Would you find us to be a loving people in every way we can? Would you find us to be a generous people? Would you find us to be a caring people, a gentle people, Lord, filled with the Spirit, longing for your return, longing that we may return here together to do what you've commanded us to do, God? We need you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.